0: welcome into episode 130 of the skate podcast i'm brian D. felice joined by scott mclaughlin bridget prue is uh, broadcasting tonight so she is not with us but scott the the bruins were handed their second loss of the season to the may uh, by the maple leafs tonight two to one in, up in toronto um we're obviously going to touch a lot on the the mitchell miller saga that 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 kind of dropped yesterday and bled into today and is going to continue to be a topic of conversation, Um you know, until something changes. But I guess we'll start with the game. Um, David Krejci makes the return to the lineup. Uh He looked like he had been out for a little bit. He didn't seem too sharp. Um I thought the Bruins as a team were pretty dull, pretty sloppy tonight, and we'll get into maybe some off-ice reasons as to why that may be. But on the ice, they just they just weren't. The team uh, we've seen for the majority of this season, and again, that's bound to happen. It's a long season; we don't expect them to be, you know, gangbusters all season long. But uh, I guess just your initial takeaways from from the loss tonight.
1: Yeah, they just seem to be a step slow on on pretty much everything. They were losing races to Pucks. They were losing battles on the board, uh, on the boards. Uh, power play was especially slow. Both you know whether it was skating with the puck or, or passing, everything just seemed off. Um you know, and, and like you said, like you wonder if the whole Mitchell Miller thing was was a distraction. Um you know, did that get them off their game? They're they're come in rolling on seven straight wins. Um obviously there's there could be plenty of other explanations. It's uh the third and final game of, of a road trip or I guess technically it was the fourth game of a road trip, but they came back home after the Columbus game. So I kind of count this only as a three game road trip. Um, you know, so it was, the, it was the third game of a road trip. Uh, Toronto was a good, you know, I think pretty desperate team. This was obviously a big game for them. Uh, Hockey night in Canada, Bruins coming in. Um, but yeah, just, just an odd game. Like everything was just off. I think they only had, They only had seven shots on goal in each period. And like even the third period, they you know, they had the puck, they had possession, they got a couple power plays. Toronto only had two shots, and yet even still the Bruins only managed to get seven shots on goal. Like it there just didn't seem to be a lot of desperation there. Like, even you know, despite your first two periods not being great, they still had a chance in the third, like still a one goal game, and yet they just didn't seem to be able to to really generate much of anything, offensively. I thought they struggled through the neutral zone all night. Um, you know, give credit to Toronto; they played good team defense. But I didn't really think the Bruins did did enough to test them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was two teams that were just in the, in two completely different mindsets tonight. Um, from watching this game, Toronto on one hand. They've had a lot of scrutiny so far this season up in Toronto because of their play, and you just knew that for them, this was a very, very, very important game for them. Um, You know they got up for it. The Bruins, in addition to already being one of Toronto's big rivalries over the last five, six seasons, and knowing that they're a divisional opponent and an opponent that in all likelihood, will be a team they'd have to go through at some point in the playoffs if they want to get over some hurdles. Um, but the Bruins are also off to a 10-1 start, best team in the league in many metrics. And they wanted to show themselves and, and you know, their fans up in Toronto that they were capable of playing a, a tight defensive game, and and they did. I mean, yeah, I think – I don't think Boston played very well. I think they had their own – they didn't help themselves, but I do think Toronto had great stick position. Um, on the penalty kill, Toronto was very assertive, very aggressive, making Boston make decisions before they wanted to. Um, but on the other hand, for the Bruins, they just came into this game with every reason in the world to feel good about themselves. And then, of course, the last 24, 36 hours has been a nightmare for the Bruins from a PR perspective and justifiably so, but that has nothing to do with the you know 20- or so players who dressed tonight for the Bruins, um, but they have to deal with it. And so it was just a, you know, a situation where Toronto had every reason in the world to, to win this game. The Bruins had every reason in the world to lose it. And even with that said, the Bruins, like you said, they were right there at the end. They are shot away with the goalie pulled. I guess let's start with the first Austin Matthews goal. Um, Brandon Carlo kind of gets tangled up behind the net. You hate to see, we talk about it all the time, when you have that kind of size, you just hate to see him on his backside. It just it just doesn't, it's just not a not a great sight to see. Um, loose coverage in front of the net and a squeaky goal on Allmark, short side by Matthews. I mean, I'm not going to put that completely on all mark, but probably a goal he would want back, but all around kind of just a lackluster play. And that was a the theme in the second goal, but we'll get to that in a little bit too.
1: Yeah, and even... With Carlo going down, I mean, Carlos kind of, it's sort of a two on one battle in Toronto's favor. I think it was Bunning who was down low with Matthews. Even with Carlo going down and, and, you know, eventually losing that puck, Bruin, and this again would be a theme in the second goal. Like the Bruins still had a chance to shut the play down. Grizzly kind of gets caught at the wrong, at the wrong post. Um, And then AJ Greer looks like he's, back to potentially be able to make a play but sort of gets caught watching and Matthews just walks right to right to the other side of the net from where Grizzly was and tucks it past Allmark. Um you know it certainly seemed like Greer could have come down lower and shut that post off I think he had plenty of time and you know I don't know if he was hanging back in case there was a trailer that you know Matthews might have made a pass to, but there really wasn't anyone cu- coming, so it kind of just ends up looking like, you know, like he was sort of just standing around puck watching, which obviously is uh, not a great look.
0: No, nah, it wasn't a great look at all. Pretty soft goal for the Bruins to give up um unforced, really. Eventually, they tie the game. Uh, Bruins on the power play, and then I think I think it was Pasternak sent Marishand in um, for a breakaway opportunity and he gets tripped up. They give him a penalty shot and he goes down. Um, was it uh, Samsonov? Is that who their goalie is? Yeah. Um, You know, forehand, backhand. Apparently he with-
1: goes by Samsonov now. He changed his, his name again.
0: When he was oh. in Washington,
1: he clear, clarified that it was pronounced Samsonov. And now he's in Toronto and apparently he
0: told me up there it's Samsonov. So... Well, I mean, don't know. Some something
1: about the exchange
0: rate, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sergey Sergey went by Samsonov. Unless that was just us saying that incorrectly, but there there
1: was a thing like after Samsonov retired, or like later in his career or something after he left Boston, where I think he also said that it technically should have been Samsonov. Very hmm. very weird. they gotta
0: make up. They to make up their minds. Um, but in any event, so yeah, so Martian comes down with the penalty shot, comes down with some you know decent speed and. You, if you're a goaltender in that situation, you have to respect the quick release, the quick shot that Martian oftentimes does in breakaways um, and is very successful at doing, but he did do the little pump fake and went backhand. Nice, nice finish. One, one. Um,
1: I saw a- after the game, he said that his original plan was to shoot, was to just take the shot. And I think he said he saw, it looked like Samson, Samson, I was kind of cheating and bid on it. And that's yeah. when he decided to go backhand.
0: Well, I think that's, that's kind of the right way to approach a breakaway, in my opinion, as well. Is like if you go down, knowing you're gonna you're gonna go into Deke. I just feel like it's the goalie can kind of tell. I, I think I think if you go down there with the intention to shoot, and then you decide to fake fake him out. If you're faking yourself out, there's a good chance the goalie's gonna be faked out too, right? You just kind of take what's given to you.
1: Yeah. Also, like a, a weird thing with Martian in those situations, I saw. Uh... I I didn't I forget who tweeted it so I I apologize to them but um he now has the the second most penalty shot goals in NHL history with 6 he's tied with Mary Lemieux only Pavel Bure has more and in his career he's shooting 60 I think 67% on um on penalty shots he's 6 of 9 for his career and yet in shootouts he's only like 20% so it's like really some somehow he is like great at penalty shots and not very good at shootouts, which is just bizarre.
0: Yeah, that is that is I without looking it up, I would have told you he was pretty successful in the shootouts. But maybe he maybe he's been better in the second half of his career. I don't know. That's surprising to me that he's. I thought he was a good shootout player, but maybe maybe he does have struggles. Um, yeah,
1: and and I don't I don't think twenty percent is like awful. I think that's probably about no. average or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not not bad. Um, But So that was his 800th NHL career point as well in that play. Just quick thoughts on that.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's an impressive number. And, you know, I don't... Like, you think about it, like, a thousand points is, like, obviously a huge marker that, you know, you get there, everyone celebrates. And it's absolutely in play for him to get there. You know, that's probably this season and and two more if he's, you know, scoring at even like a 60, 70 point pace. So like he's going to get there and you just think about, you know, how his career started, like as a fourth line grinder and it, it, you know, it's, it's impressive. Obviously he's been one of the top offensive players in the NHL for, for a while now for, you know, over half a decade. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's probably, if he can stay healthy, he's probably gonna end up getting to that mark.
0: Yeah, if he's healthy. I mean, if he's healthy, I mean, him finishing the season this year in in the eight seventies isn't out of the question, obviously. I mean, that's you know, he could he could be an yeah. eight seventy, eight eighty by by season's end, which is just kind of like when you think of it like that, to think he's gonna that he could possibly get that many more points this season is crazy, but it, I mean that's how it works. Um and also then,
1: the other thing I thought of because like right either right before that or right after that tonight uh alex ovechkin scored his 787th career goal. so it's like you think about like the great career martian has had and now at 800 points and then it's like ovechkin's has almost that many goals alone <laughs> like it's oh
0: yeah it's insane it's just it,
1: it, like it was just kind of one of those juxtapositions where it's like oh yeah like it those those numbers that he's putting up really are like truly insane
0: yeah i mean ovechkin's ovechkin's ten years. uh I don't want to say we take it for granted, but I think we kind of do a little bit. Um, we've been fortunate enough to kind of, you know, watch him and Crosby throughout the last 16 years, 15, 16, 17 years. And I mean, Ovechkin's going to go down to history, but they're both going to go down to history books for, for many different reasons. But you're, you're talking about potentially the greatest goal scorer of all time when all is said and done. So let's not over, overlook that. Yeah, um, I think
1: especially era adjusted, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he probably already has that title realistically, but... Obviously, if he actually does close in on it or eventually pass Gretzky, then it's it's not even up for debate.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I mean, it's it's really it's really tough to to compare and contrast across across generations across across eras because you the easiest way to go about it is be like, well, how how was this guy for his time? Right? I mean, it, it it's like the age old question. Like, you know, people say Bobby Orr is the greatest, one of the greatest players of all time, greatest defenseman of all time, and it's like, and, and I'm not disputing that, (laughs) but it's like, you know, if if Bobby Orr was dropped into this league, but you can't, it's not fair. You can't do that. He didn't have the same things um, available to him when it comes to, you know, training and equipment and all that shit. So it's like, it's not, you just can't really do it. But what you can, you can say though is objectively it's, it's the hardest to score in the the NHL that it ever has been in the past. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact, The, the, how big the goalies are, how athletic they are. I um, mean, hell back in the seventies, there were shots going in from the, from center ice on the reg. So it's, um, yeah, very, very, very impressive. And what's even more impressive not to go off on an Ovechkin thing, but it's like, <laughs> there's not a ton of deception to a lot of his goals. Like, you know what, you know what he's doing. Like, especially in the power play, he's been there for 15 years and they just don't go to him. I mean, pashnak has been successful in that circle for a couple of years and there and you see teams already gravitating towards him. So I don't know why Ovechkin gets off scotch free, <laughs> but Hey, whatever. Um, so marshan ties it i guess before we get to the second austin matthews goal I, I kept asking myself throughout the game scott if a bruins forward was in the dressing room or something because it just felt like there was not there was no rhythm to the bruins offense and it also seemed like like when the bruins have been going so well this season i mean the the, the prior living games honestly um it just felt like all four lines were hopping over the boards and doing their thing. But tonight, it just felt like there was a lot of mixing and matching. And yeah, there was penalties and and it kind of got the lines jumbled up and this and that. But there was never a forward in the locker. But it just felt like one shift, you had Zaka on a fourth line, and then you had create. It's just you know it. And I, I that comes to my mind real quick. But it was like a lot of different combinations. It was like why why are there so many combinations? Is nobody hurt? And there weren't, yeah. there weren't a million penalties. There was like probably what three three per team.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. Three per team.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, marsha missed one shift with an equipment issue, but that was it. So um, I also thought that thought was an especially quiet game for the for the bottom six. Like, and this was a game that was just screaming out for that kind of like momentum changing shift. Like might not have needed them to, sc- you know, you didn't necessarily need Charlie Coyle to score in a fifth straight game. You didn't necessarily need someone on the fourth line to score, but I thought that this game was screaming for one of those two lines or both of them to just like have like a great energy shift that helps swing some momentum. And it really never happened. Like I just thought those lines are quiet. Like we just didn't see, didn't see a ton of the physicality on the four check. Didn't see them like really get the cycle going. And, you know again that kind of comes back to the whole team sort of just chasing the game all night like it, it, you can't you can't do those things if you're not on the front foot if you're not arriving on time on the forecheck and they were just like a, a half step or even a full step too slow all game so you kind of just end up chasing and you never really get that chance to to kind of assert yourself
0: yeah it, it just seems like on television that toronto is just uh they were just, you know, half a step better than Boston tonight in, in the speed category. It just felt like they were on pucks quicker than Boston. They were making the D, you know, move the puck quicker than they wanted to, and, and when they did, they were putting it into traffic. And, that, and the Bruins just weren't able to get their transition game going. And uh, so, you know, in that in that respect, you got to tip your cap to Toronto. I mean, they they, they forced the Bruins to make mistakes. They were sort of um, they acted instead of reacting. But in the same vein, I. I bring up the the defense. My oh my, Scott the uh, the Mike Riley Zaboral tandem is fucking brutal, and I'm sorry to uh, sorry to get a little um, you know vulgar there, but shit, they were they were. It's just tough to watch them in their own zone. It Zaboral has been brutal, brutal. Like I mean, go back, not you in particular, but. If you want to go back and watch the game and just watch all the passes he gives to his wingers where he's just setting them up for failure. It's like you might as well just dump it back into yourself because there's you're 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 giving it to a guy who's got a defenseman pinching on him and it was just it was shift after shift. And I understand there's a numbers issue right now with Forbido out and McAvoyo and this and that, but uh those two are an issue on the ice together.
1: Yeah. Little trip to the stats corner here. Uh 06, Riley and Zaboro played together at five on five on Saturday night. Bruins got outshot eight to two during that time, had 11% of expected goals, scoring chances four to one Toronto, high danger chances two nothing Toronto. Like, yeah, it, it, it wasn't good. And, and we talked about this last podcast about how, you know, until McAvoy returns, which I don't know, could be sometime this week, maybe the following week. We still don't know exactly. Um you gotta get something out of Riley, Zaboral, Strahlman. You have to find something among those three that works because y- you can't just have like a you can't just have a third pairing that you don't trust that you know that you only want to throw out there like twelve minutes a night. Like that's it's not good enough. So, you know, especially when you only have one of those real minutes eating guys in your top four in Lindholm, whereas like everyone else is sort of, you'd prefer to have them, you know, around 18 to 20 minutes. Um, someone's going to step up in that group. And so far, it's not, it just isn't really happening. Strawman was the odd man out tonight and we know why he was struggling. Um, to your point, Zaboro really hasn't looked good all year. And, you know, this was his first game back in in a while, so like you wonder about rust, but shouldn't really be an excuse. Like he's got to be able to come in and take advantage. And I, I guess maybe by default, Riley's been like the best of those three, but he's not really blowing the doors off anyone either. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really know what they what they do here, other than just hope McAvoy comes back sooner than later, but. Obviously, you don't you don't want to rush him. Like he he comes back when he's hundred percent and ready to go. But um, until that happens, like they they have to try to get at least two of these three at the bottom of the roster going.
0: You know, I don't know what it is with Mike Riley. I for whatever reason, I I just have a little soft spot for him. It's I, I don't know if it's because I feel for him because he got waived or whatever. But I I just I just I just know what his ceiling is. Like he's not, he's not, he's, he's just, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a third D pair puck moving guy in the right situation. Like he's not, he's not physical. It's not in his nature. Um, I've said in the past, like he skates, like he's got a piano on his back and it's just, sometimes it just looks like he's getting worn down by the opposing forwards. Like he's when he has time and space, he's fine. I don't hate the player. I just, I don't expect that much out of Mike Riley. Especially defensively, and I know he's a defenseman, so that's not good. But, but with with Zaborl, it's like, you know, we talked about this with Jack Stanika. Like when you get your opportunities, you have to take advantage of it, no matter when it is. And, and it's just, like, he's not he's not 22. He's not 23. I mean, he's hell. He might not even be 24. Zboril's probably 26. I think he was in the Russ draft class. So you're talking about a guy who's 26 years old. If not, if he's, he's not 26, 25. he's about to turn it.
1: He's 25,
0: turning. 26 in February. All right, so yeah, all intents and purposes, he's he's 26 year old man. He's not an 18 year old kid, and I know he's had injury issues throughout his career. But at this point, it's like, you know, when when the Bruins drafted him, a lot of his a lot of his draft highlights was like, he 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 just looked like an absolute like rock back there. Like he 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 was physical. He was. um You know, he 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 just looked like a man amongst boys playing in juniors, and he just had a a a, a mature build. But he doesn't use his physicality at all at the NHL level. He gets pushed around by anybody. I mean, Kerfoot, Marner, whomever, Nylander. It doesn't matter who the hell it is. Like anybody on skate just pushes them around. And, And and I'm sorry, but when you're when you're when the team's healthy, probably seventh at best on the defensive depth chart. Um, and I, I'd say he's probably lower than that. You gotta, you gotta bring more to the table, man. Like it's, it's there's no offense to his game production-wise, and I know it was his first game back, but you know what? He wasn't doing it earlier in the year either. And if you take away that first, that first pawn hockey game in the preseason against Philadelphia, it's like he's he's done shit. And whatever, I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to waste so much time on the board, but he he needs to be a lot better. I I don't, I expect so much out of Riley, and it's not that I expect that much out of Zaboral either but like there is that aspect to his game where he's still trying to prove himself and when you're trying to prove yourself you better be fucking like moving your feet and just being engaged and he's just he's just out he, he's out to lunch he's just out there for a skate and it's just not i i can't stand to watch that because because you're replacing somebody like Derek forbo who um you know every shift just kind of gives it his all um and whatever so I'll, I'll get off the riley and zaborl but they stood out to me heavily tonight they were just so bad so bad okay that said austin matthews scores the second goal of the game ends up being the game winner on the power play um william nylander takes a puck down the right wing boards great speed um that said lindholm still kept him to the outside and and forced him around that and and when that happens you gotta kind of assume that when a guy's going around on his forehand side there's a good chance he's gonna shovel to the front of the net and Nosek is, you know, he's looking at the popcorn guy in the stands. I don't know who the other defenseman was on the ice, uh, Carlo. Carlo. You know, it's like, all right, so if Lindholm is following Nylander, Brandon, where are you? Um, Nosek, where are you, you're not picking up your guy in the slot who just happens to be a 60-goal scorer, for Christ's sake. So not going to blame that one at all, Mark. Obviously, that was just defensive, poor coverage.
1: Yeah, and, and again, like, even with – you know, like you said, like Lindholm keeps it to the outside, but even with Nylander getting around him, two other guys have an opportunity to to kill this play and don't. And again, with the awareness, like same thing with Greer kind of hanging back, even though there was no one to cover, like Carlo almost peels off towards the circle, like as if the pass was going to come out that way for like a one timer from the dot or something, but there was no one there. Like, I, so I don't know why he was peeling off the post. It's like, cut off the post, like take, take that away first. And instead he leaves a passing line wide open to the slot. And then to your point, like no just seemed to give up on the back. and it's like, Hey, like that's, uh, that's Austin Matthews right there. Like you might want to, you know, get close enough to lift his stick or something.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just uh lack of it, lack of attention to detail. And You know, we've talked about it in the past. You can't really read into everything too much because it's a long season. Just like we don't proclaim them Stanley Cup champions when they get off to a 10-1 and start. Like, you know, when they go through um, struggles throughout an individual game, we're not going to harp on it too much. We're just going to, you know, talk about it and bring it up. I'm not, you know, overly concerned, but it's just, uh, it's what led to their loss tonight, uh, among other things. Because, like we've said, they didn't play great uh, in any aspect, but yet, and I, I bet, I bet you Toronto's sitting there in their locker room saying that's exactly how we want to play. That's one of the best teams in the league. They're after the best start this year. And, you know, we're, we're proving a lot of people that we are capable of playing this way. And it's like, I guarantee you Toronto took a lot of pride in their game tonight and yep. the Bruins sucked. And yet the Bruins were a shot away at the goalie pulled. So.